The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Hey, if uh, you do have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Hebrews 13. By the way, if you come on Sunday mornings and you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give that to you as a gift. And uh, you can grab that at the Connect table as well after uh, the service. So this is the third week of a series we've called entitled Ecclesia. If you were here the last two weeks, you understand that that word is the Greek word where which we derive our word church. And so we have spent the last two weeks, this week and again next week, uh, on a series about the church. And if you've been around here for a while or you've been around church for a while, uh, maybe you're wondering, like, why, why, why would we even give four weeks to talking about um, the church. Why not talk about practical Christian living? Why not talk about something that's more relevant to my life? And I believe that your growth as a Christian, um, your life as a believer is intimately tied to this thing we call the church. And so maybe you've been around here since we launched a couple years ago, and uh, maybe you're just in a habit, the routine of attending church. Well, we're moving into some things later on this fall. And as we're moving into some things, we just kind of want to circle the wagons a little bit, come back to this idea of the church and why we do what we do. So the first week we answered the question, what is the church? And the definition we arrived at is that the church is a regular gathering of people who are continually conforming into the image of Christ by listening and following the scriptures so that the glory of God is seen in each other and the world. And then last week we asked the question, what is the mission of the church? Like, what is it that we're here to do? And we went to Matthew chapter 28, and the answer to that was the mission of the church is to help people find and follow Jesus. Now, this week is probably the most difficult week of this series because the concepts and the ideas in this uh, message today um, are a little averse to what we believe and think about in culture. And so I wanted to start the sermon this morning by quoting a guy that lives on the same street as me. And... um, Actually, different neighborhoods, same street, about a mile apart. And um, in 2012, he was quoted in V Magazine. And he said this. He said, a lot of people who are religious, I think they get lost. They go to church just to go to church. I'm not trying to disrespect them. But for me, I focus more on praying and talking to him, and I don't have to go to church. And so then three years later, um, Justin Bieber, the theologian, was quoted in Complex Magazine, and um, no shade towards Bieber. I I actually listen to Bieber, and so um, don't throw any shade towards me either. And so... I love Bieber, and, uh, but I think sometimes we listen to what's being said in culture, and we were like, man, that's true. That's, like, that, that's, what, I, that's what I think. That's what I believe. And uh, I think we need to be reminded of uh, sometimes of what truth really is and where it's found. And so in 2015, um, Bieber was quoted in Complex Magazine, which is a really strange article, but it was really cool. And um, he said this. He said, like I said, you don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And then I could have stopped there, but I wanted to include the last part of this because I thought it was funny. He said, because if you go to Taco Bell, that doesn't make you a taco. I was like, that's awesome. And then I just immediately thought of some of my best friends here in the church. And I'm glad that's not true because they would be like a mega pack of tacos because they love Taco Bell so much. And so I think when Bieber talks about this, this concept of church, like, man, I, I have this private relationship with the Lord. I have this private deal with God. I don't need the church to facilitate this relationship. I, I think he says what so many people in culture feel about the church. Do, do I really need the church? How committed do I need to be to a church? 
And so there's this guy named Todd Bolsinger. He wrote a book called It Takes a Church to Raise a Christian. And he expressed that same idea this way. He said, many, uh, more than any before us, an American today believes I must write the script of my own life. The thought that such a script must be subordinated to the grand narrative of the Bible is a foreign one. And then listen to what he says. Still more alarming is the idea that this surrender of our personal story to God's story must be mediated by a community of fallen people who we frankly don't want getting in our way and meddling in our own hopes and dreams. And so Bieber expresses this concept of church and this commitment to church one way. And, and then I think in a lot of ways, all of us sort of feel this commitment to a local church and how is it vital and important. So today we tackle a really difficult subject. We tackle a really difficult uh, concept about the local church. And so what we want to do is we want to journey into this question, does the church really matter? And if it does matter, why should it matter to me? And what should my commitment be to the local church? So the question we want to answer is this, what is church membership? And, and if it's biblical, why does it matter? Now, there's not one explicit text in scripture that we go to and we're like, hey, see here it says, um, you should be a church member and you should join a church. And so in order to answer the question this morning, we've got to do something different than what we normally do on a Sunday morning. And we have to go to multiple places in scripture to arrive at an answer to why church membership is biblical and why it matters. But even though we don't have like one passage that says you should join a church, we've got enough commands in scripture. We've got enough passages in scripture to be convinced that your commitment to a local church is more than just this casual, occasional weekend attendance at a service. So there are a lot of good reasons for why we believe church membership is biblical, but this morning I want to give you two. So if you've got something to write with, you've got something to take notes, I want to encourage you to do that. And I'm going to give you two reasons why I believe church membership is biblical. And then I'm going to tell you why I'm even preaching on this concept this morning. And so the first clue for us that church membership is biblical is this argument that, that, that church membership is set in the context of how God has structured a church. And there are these boundaries that are set in place for our good. But the problem is we don't like this idea of boundaries. Um, even though the Bible says there are authorities that have been set up in our lives, in, in our world for our good. So we go to Hebrews chapter 13, and we're going to see one of these boundaries that God has established and why it's important to the church. Now, let me warn you for a moment. This is difficult this morning. <laughs> this is going to be difficult because the concepts we're talking about are concepts that our culture is averse to. And so if you don't like this, listen, it's not me, okay? If you don't like it, it's not me. It's scripture this morning, okay? Fair warning as we journey into it. All right, let's just, let's just get into it. Hebrews chapter 13, starting in verse 17. And the scripture says, Have confidence in your leaders, and submit to their authority. I told you it was going to be rough. Because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. And so in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, what we have is we have this passage that's setting the stage and the tone for this relational structure that most of us are averse to. Let, let, me, let me try to explain it to you. Uh, our usual line of thinking is this. I, I, I love the preaching. 
Um, I, I, man, the, the music is on point. The vibe at my church is pretty chill, right? Like, like kids ministry keeps my kids happy. Um, man, the coffee is really, really good at this church that I go to. That's the kind of stuff that we're processing as we pull into the garage, as we're about to walk into a church. And I'm not saying those things are bad things. I'm not saying those things are sinful things. They are things, but listen to what the scripture says. But the Bible says, look at me. There are leaders who we submit to, that you have confidence in. Now, that's your part. (laughs) Now, that's your part. Let let me me take the pressure off just for a moment. Let me tell you what my part is. Let me me tell you what what our leader's part is. Let me tell you what what our pastor's part is. This is hard, okay? This is hard. Um, This is hard. You say, I don't want to submit to anyone. And I'm like, Yeah, but I don't want to be accountable to hundreds of you either, right? And so we have this idea in Scripture where Hebrews 13 says that you are to submit to your leaders, have trust and confidence in your leaders. But the other side of the equation is that there are pastors and leaders who are accountable to God for how they shepherd you. And so there's this weight on both sides. There's this weight on both sides. On the pastor's side, it requires this accountability to God, to steward God's word wisely, to boldly talk about truth in a culture that honestly is, is heavy on relativity. So, so, so there's this weight on both sides, on a pastor's side, even at times, like it's enough to have to take sleeping pills at night. I call them sleepy gummies. They're really good. And I go out like that, right? So like there's this weight on both sides as we talk about this relational structure that God has set up. Now, listen to me. If there are people who lead and there are people who follow, then the natural question is, who am I to lead? And who are you to follow? Am am I responsible for Christians in Atlanta that I talk to frequently and regularly? Am I responsible to lead Christians in this city who go to another church down the road or, or down in Hollywood or over in Santa Monica? And on the other side, who are the leaders that you are to submit to? Are there pastors in our city that God says you're to submit to them? If another pastor in our city and another church stands up today and says, we're going to go protest this rally, are you to submit to their authority and their leadership? Obviously, that can't be the case, right? If there are leaders that you submit to and people whom I'm responsible to God for, then listen to me, then those people are known and it implies a relationship. And so the first context clue for this concept of church membership is that there are leaders you should obey and submit to. And for leaders, there's a specific group of people that we are called to lead in such a way that we're going to be held accountable for it, for how we led you, how we shepherded you, how we cared for your souls, how we encouraged you to good deeds. And so listen to me, I want to make this argument this morning. Church membership is biblical. Church membership is biblical because of this accountable relationship structure that God intended. Now listen, there's a relational component to what I'm talking about. Now bear with me for a moment. This relational component, according to Hebrews chapter 13, implies that you submit and obey. It also implies implies on the other side that there are pastors who love and shepherd those who obey and submit. No, No, I know exactly how you feel. When I do marriage counseling, without exception, we always go to Ephesians chapter 5, and we get to this concept in Ephesians chapter 5, and not all the time, but sometimes I will have a 
guy who's about to marry this woman and he will say, see, here it is in scripture, I'm the leader and you do what I say, right? And almost without exception, I watch the lady, the woman just cringe, she, she just lowers herself down in the chair. So we've got these concepts of the abuse of power and authority and leadership in every avenue and arena of life around us. And so when we hear this in the Bible, and by the way, let's be honest, some of you have been the subject to abuse of authority and leadership even in the church. But now listen, the relationship that God is intending here, it's not this dictatorial relationship. It's not abusive it's not controlling. It's giving account to the Father for how we cared for the bride. And so membership gives us this idea as leaders and shepherds of who's committed. It helps us identify, it helps us identify as we have been given this job description in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, to raise up a group of people to do the work of the ministry in the church. It helps us identify who those people are. It also helps us identify, some of you guys will raise your hand, you're like, hey, I want to grow in my faith. I want to be disciple to grow in the Lord. It helps us identify where our time and our energy and our effort and our shepherding, what God has asked us to do. It helps us identify where we should put that time and that effort. It helps us to know who wants to grow, who wants to be discipled, who we should place in leadership, but there's this relational component. And let me try to explain it to you with an illustration. Um, there are times when my wife and I <clears throat> will go out on a date and our kids are not old enough yet. You know, if you know us, we, we have three kids. We've got a nine-year-old, a soon-to-be eight-year-old next month, and then a four-year-old. And so <clears throat> they're not old enough for us to just, you know, put some peanut butter and jelly on the table and be like, hey, we'll be back in three hours. We have to have a babysitter. And so last week, my wife and I went out on a date, and, and we had a babysitter. And even this week, my wife and I are peeling away for a couple days. Uh, our pastor is in town. We're going to learn from him and be encouraged by him and grow in him. And so we've got a babysitter coming this week. And so, and so we have babysitters that come in, and, and we have expectations for our babysitters. And they know that because we tell them. Um, there are some things that our kids just should not do um, and be a part of. There's some things that shouldn't happen while we're gone. Our kids are not to... Um, be on their iPads when we're not around. We want to be able to shepherd their hearts and what they're seeing online. Um, our kids are not to be outside by themselves. They can be in the backyard. They can't be in the front yard, but they, we don't want our kids outside by themselves. There are TV shows that we just don't allow our kids to watch. Um, and so there's these things that we have these expectations with a babysitter. Now, when the babysitter comes this week, what we do invariably every single time is I walk in my kid's bedroom. I sit all three of them in front of me. I look them in the eyes and I say, now kids, Miss Ellen is in charge. Whatever she says, you obey. I don't want to come home and find out that you disobeyed Miss Ellen. Now, if I come home, my wife and I come home and the iPad is in a different place than where we left it. If we check Netflix and there's some shows that have been watched that, that we don't allow our kids to watch. If Tony, my neighbor, comes over, he's like, hey man, uh, just heads up. Um, I saw Rome and your four-year-old uh, riding his bike down the street. I didn't see anybody around. Look, look, we have some issues, right? We have some challenges because we have expectations of our babysitters, right? Now, if you let my kids play in traffic with no oversight, I'm not going to be happy. On the same side, if I release my kids to this babysitter, which we have no problem saying, she is in charge. Why is she in charge? Because we vetted her. 
We've checked her references. We know who she is, and we trust her to have the authority in our kids' lives when we are absent. Now, if I come home and my kids have not obeyed our babysitter, they have disobeyed the person we left in charge, we also have some issues. Now listen, in the same way, God has given his bride that he bled for, that he died for, to shepherds who are to nurture and care for her until the father comes back. And he's given the bride the privilege to submit to their authority. Listen to what it implies. It implies that we are committed to you. It also implies that you are committed to us as we gain your trust while we are earning your trust and shepherding you and leading you and caring for you and loving you. We're going to talk more about church leadership and that structure next week. But this first idea, this first concept for why we believe church membership is biblical is because this relational authority structure that God has put in place for your good and our good. And listen, I understand this concept of submission and authority. It's, it's difficult to process, but I want to tell you, it's difficult on both sides. It's hard to go to sleep at night saying, God, did I shepherd your bride well? I want to be found faithful and loving and caring for your bride. It's difficult on both parts but it implies we're committed to one another. Now, the second argument, the second concept for this idea of church biblical is, uh, is church membership biblical is found in Ephesians chapter five. But before I get there, let me, let me preface Ephesians five with this. In the New Testament, there are these phrases. We count about 59 of them that we call the one another's of scripture. And the one another's in scripture tell us how we are to relate to one another. And so we don't have time to read every verse associated with every one another, but let me just read these one another's to you. We are to love one another, serve one another, accept one another, strengthen one another, help one another, encourage one another, care for one another, forgive one another, submit to one another, commit to one another, build trust with one another, live in harmony with one another, confess to one another, do not pass judgment on one another, do not slander one another, instruct one another, grieve one another, admonish one another, Agree with one another. Spur on toward love and good deeds. Meet with one another. Be concerned for one another. I skipped around. Sorry there. Be humble to one another. Do not anger one another. Do not lie to one another. Do not grumble to one another. Give preference to one another. Be at peace with one another. Hello? Sing to one another. That's what we did earlier. We're going to do at the end of this service. Be of the same mind to one another. Comfort one another. Be kind to one another. Live in peace with one another and carry one another's burdens. We call these the one another's of Scripture. And I hope you see there's this relational component of being engaged in a church. And so they tell us how we should relate with one another. They're sort of God's expectations for how we interact with one another. But here's the problem. <laughs> They're hard. <laughs> these one another's are hard, but then there's a second problem with these one another's because everything in our life rests on this relational idea of a contract. So we've, re we've learned sort of a consumeristic model of how to relate to one another. In other words, you have Verizon, you understand a contract. You rent a home or you have a mortgage, you have a contract. You have health insurance or dental insurance, you understand a contract. You're an employee, you have a contract. And so contracts work on this concept where there is agreement on both sides. 
you have a rental contract with a house today, there's a part on their side where they provide you with a roof over your head. Maybe they do maintenance on your home when, whenever there's major problems. Maybe they provide electricity. They pay for the water. Maybe they take out the garbage for you in exchange for a monthly fee. And so when you sign these rental contracts now and, and these mortgage contracts, you, you almost always need a lawyer. Why? Because there's always clauses and exceptions. You want to give 30 days to get out? You have to give 30 days to get out of your contract or you owe six months worth of rent. You're like, I didn't see that. Oh yeah, because that was in the clause and the contract and the exceptions. That's contractual. That's contractual. There's nothing relational about it. Why? Because if either party stops the reciprocity, in other words, you stop paying your Verizon bill today, next month you're going to wake up and you have no data, right? If one party stops the reciprocity, then the contract is void and it's breached. And so most of life is contractual. And in the midst of this contractual understanding, this consumeristic understanding of love, the scripture says, actually, love in the body of Christ is not that way. Let me prove it to you. Nobody dreams of a contractual marriage. Some of you guys are ready to get married. You're looking for a mate, and, but you're not dreaming of a contractual marriage. Let me, let me prove it to you. Think about it. When, when you go to a wedding, if you've been to one recently, the groom and the bride, they stand in front of each other at this point in the service and they say their vows to one another. And you understand this part of the marriage process. And so imagine sitting in a wedding and the bride and the groom are in front of each other and they're about to say their vows to one another and they come out and they start out like this. I promise to come home every night if you promise to make dinner. <laughs> and then the bride says, well, I'll promise to make dinner if you promise to make enough money so I don't have to cook dinner every night. And then the groom says, well, I promise to make dinner if you promise not to complain to your parents, right? And so you're sitting there and you're like, oh man, this is, this is not good. This is not going to last, right? You, you understand this is not how it's supposed to go. Why? Because marriage is not contractual. Marriage is not contractual. Marriage is a covenant. We're not bartering. <laughs> we're, we're not bartering with each other. We're committing ourselves fully to each other regardless in South Carolina, where I grew up, there was a couple of people from South Carolina here this morning. We say, irregardless, it's not a word, but you understand what I mean. I'm committing to you regardless for richer or poor, better or worse. And so Ephesians chapter five gives us this covenant concept of love. It shows us what this idea of covenant love looks like. And in Ephesians chapter five, we're gonna read it here in just a second. I learn that God has said to me, I'm to love Laura like he loves the church, which is how he submitted himself to the church and died for her. I get in these marriage counseling scenarios often and the husband is like, see, she's not submitting to me. And I'm like, well, just let's back it up a minute, homeboy. And so uh, we need to talk about your, your role, which is actually the undergirding of this relationship, and we call that serving your wife. And this is this idea of covenant love. God gave his life for the church regardless of whether or not she reciprocates. But when she reciprocates, it makes it much better, makes life easier for both of us. Ephesians chapter 5, let me read it for you. It'll be on the screens. And I want you to try to identify how this concept of contractual love differs from what God actually says in Ephesians 5 about covenant love. Listen to what it says. Husbands, love your wives 
Just as Christ loved the church, if you want a job description and a role description, start there. Don't start with a heavy-handed, authoritative role in your marriage. Just as Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Think about this. This is covenant. As their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. And then it concludes in verse 30, for we are members of his body. Ephesians 5 sets the context for how these 59 one another's in scriptures are to be approached. So that approach is this, the context for how we're to live in relationship with one another is a picture of covenant, not consumerism. The context for how we are to live in relationship with one another, I'll say it again, it's gonna come on the screen in just a second. The picture for how, the context for how we're to live in relationship with one another is a picture of covenant, not consumerism. Consumerism lends us to this idea that everyone does what they please. They live as they please, accountable to no one, approved by everyone. But listen, covenant says this, with God's help by the Holy Spirit's power, I'm going to try to be this for you. And if there is reciprocity, it's going to be a lot easier. But if there's not, it doesn't change. This is what God is asking for me. So how do we deal with one another in the church as it pertains to covenant? Well, let me say this. These 59 one another's are not a litmus test for your involvement in a church. Let me try to explain. I cannot demand these one another's from you. I'm talking about an attitude here that we all should approach this. It's not a litmus test. I can't demand the 59 one another's from you. Listen to what I'm about to say to you. I am becoming this for you. This is how church works really well. This is how church works really, really well. When I don't show up and I'm like, you know what? Somebody better have the coffee hot today because last week there were too many first-time guests and we ran out of coffee. It doesn't look like this. Pastor, I've been here for three weeks. I've not been encouraged by your sermons yet. I'm out. It works best when we say, I'm not demanding this from you. Love one another. Serve one another. Commit to one another. Meet with one another. Share with one another. Undergird one another. Forgive one another. It works best when we say, you know what? I'm becoming this for you. Do you understand? There's a subtle difference there. It's an attitude change that if we all approach it as the body of Christ together, this is my attitude. I'm becoming this for you. Listen, let me tell you this. Let me say, I understand. We fail often. I get it. We didn't come to your surgery. I get it. We weren't there for that important thing. And I understand. Please for, forgive one another. Bear with one another as we are growing in grace towards one another. That's just how this works together. This is actually what we call covenant love, not contractual love. What if marriage worked like that? What if marriage worked off this concept of contractual love? Well, she burned dinner again. I mean, I'm barely overweight at this point. I mean, really, come on. 
Like this is not, that's not the model of marriage you're dreaming of. Covenant says, I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to do my best in these one another's and nobody is going to be more loyal to you than me. That's how the church should work. That's how the church should work. When covenant works best, it helps us fulfill the mission of God to help people find and follow Jesus. It helps us experience community together. It helps us to grow as disciples. It helps us worship Jesus in this moment together. It helps us serve our city. And if this is the true meaning of loving each other, then listen to me. It means that sometimes how I feel should not define how I relate to you. I get it. I get it. Somebody did not fulfill your expectation. We're sorry. But listen to me. We're still committed to you. We're still committed to you. By the way, covenant is how God deals with us. And by the way, if we correctly understand covenant, God fulfills not just one side of the covenant. He fulfills both. He commits to us and he gives us the ability to commit to him. Here's a second argument for church membership and I'm almost done. I'm gonna tell you why we're even teaching on this today. The second argument for church membership is the concept of this covenant relationship with one another. We see these one another's in scriptures. We say, there is a way we are to rightly relate to one another. So church membership is this, it's essential to this part of the process of you belonging to a local church. But it's also essential to this process of growing as an individual believer. This guy who brings great clarity for me in a lot of things said it like this. He was a pastor in New York City for many, many years. He said, you can't know God you can't change deeply or you can't change the world apart from community. So let me share why we even spend a morning teaching on this. You see, as our church has grown and is growing and God's providing opportunities and we're looking outside of Burbank and where God has us next and as people are showing up every single week. We want to come back to this concept of who we are. And I want to say to you, as your pastor, I often hear guys, and I have great friends who say, our church, our, our culture is so averse to church membership. Our, our culture is so averse to culture. And some of those guys are my great friends, and, and I love and respect them. And I want to be a, a church that's relevant to our culture, but listen to me, I want to be a church and a pastor who's faithful to the Bible. And that implies biblically, if scripture asserts it, then we need to be it. And so over the next six months, we're rolling out, even though we're a church that's a little over two years old, we're rolling out this concept of church membership. Some people say you should start with church membership. Well, we're a little slow but we're getting there. And there's even people I know that have been a part of Story City that have left Story City because we weren't there. And I just ask for a little bit of grace. We're getting there. And so this membership process rolls out. And I'm praying for you because I know 
concept of authority and leadership and covenant love is so foreign to our culture. But I'm saying there's grace in this process as you are growing. And I'm asking for your prayers as we, as pastors and leaders, are growing too, as we desire to shepherd you and love you and care for you and watch over your souls and encourage you to good deeds and love. And so as you're praying for us, we're praying for you. So in the next six months, around January, we're going to begin the process of opening up what we call Discover Story City. And we don't want to hide anything from who we are, time and space. Don't allow us to teach on everything you would possibly want us to teach on. The last thing we want to do is for you to be a part of Story City intimately for a year and be like, wait, 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 the church believes what? And so this Discover Story City is part of that process to say who we are, what we believe, how we relate to one another, how we do things, what we expect of you and what you should expect of us as pastors and leaders. And then Discover Story City follows the process with this member covenant that you fill out. Then you meet with one of our pastors and leaders. And then every year we will renew a member covenant. And there's a lot of reasons why we renew membership every year that I can't even get into today. And I hope to be able to share with you later, especially in this context, in this culture. We renew that every single year. And so what am I calling you today to? I'm calling you to the local church to be committed, to be a part of this fellowship, to be not just a passive participant who shows up weekly, to be an active part of this church who is embracing the one another's of Scripture, praying for your pastors as your pastors are praying and caring for you as we walk together. Why? So the glory of God can be shown in each other and those around us in the world, the definition of a church. That's who we are. That's what we're becoming. And we want to be clear about who we are. Now let me pray for us. We're going to sing one song. We're going to close out the service today. And I want to say, I'm glad you're here today. Lord, we love you. I'm grateful for the privilege this morning to open up the scriptures and allow the scriptures to speak. God, I'm, I'm keenly aware that there are people in this auditorium, at this service, here today, God, who have experienced the worst of this concept of authority and leadership and submission and the one another's have been hurt by leadership. They've been hurt by each other in the church. And so, God, I pray for them specifically that are sitting here listening this morning. God, I pray by the Spirit of the living God that you would massage their experience. Let them tangibly understand and feel your grace. God, at the same time, give that grace to this local body of believers as we are growing together. God, there are others who are fully committed to this church. God, I pray as leaders and pastors and shepherds, as one another, we would be fully committed to one another as we grow as disciples of Jesus, Lord, exposing your glory to each other and those around us. God, ultimately, may we be and may you find us to be a biblical church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.